We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by an author, a trainer, and accomplished chess player. He's won several international tournaments, competed with the Croatian national team, was even on a Croatian chess television show, as we will discuss. These days, he works most as a trainer and author. He has trained the Finland's men's and women's team. He previously coached in Dubai, and he's written two books. His first book, Beyond Material, in 2019, was mentioned as one of the best in recent memory by John Hartman here on this very podcast. And he's out with a new book that as soon as I saw it, I knew I had to interview him. It's called How to Study Chess on Your Own, Creating a Plan That Works and Sticking to It, brand new from New in Chess. I finished the book yesterday, as luck would have it. And it's it's incredible. It's, um, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose, a huge treasure trove of information for uh, titled players and improvers alike. So I'm super excited to pick his brain about chess improvement and hear about his career. So let's welcome him to the show, Davarin Kozyasevich. How are you, Davarin? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. So 
yeah, so I, as I said, I've been reading this book, Beyond Material. I have had for a while and looked through it, but not read it completely. But this new book, there's just so much to talk about in terms of uh, actionable advice for, for club players. So um, why don't you, we begin, Davran, by you just sort of telling us, I know you mentioned in the book that you have lots of ideas for books. So how did you settle on this particular idea? Yeah, basically the book is like a long answer to to the question that a lot of my students have asked me, you know, from time to time or just uh, me hearing people, chess players uh, uh, say and, and talk about, um, you know, this issue of studying on your own. Uh, there's no such clear guidelines because if you have, let's say, a coach or a book, you get these guidelines, yeah, solve these puzzles or uh, do this kind of training, uh, analyze with someone else. But actually, when you're on your own, it's not that uh, straightforward. Yeah. Uh, so my idea was to create a book where it would be quite a comprehensive overview of uh, study methods, uh, study resources. Uh, there is also, of course, an introductory chapter on study mindset so that you actually study the right way. Uh, and... Um, Okay, I talked about different areas of, of the game, you know, like how to study openings, middle games, end games, and so on. And I provided uh, some tools to create your own study plans. Uh, this was one of the bigger ideas because I've used some of these tools myself and uh, uh, I, I wanted to share them, basically. Yeah, I mean, and we'll talk about that for sure because you get into these hardcore study plans that you've used in your own life. Uh, becoming a grandmaster, of course, does require a lot of work, as uh, your book makes clear. Um, so there's, and one thing I want to mention right off the top, because I, again, I knew when I saw this book, a lot of listeners would be interested in it. Um, it's still not available as we record in paper form. You can order it, but can't, haven't received it yet. But it is available on Kindle, where I read it, and from on the New in Chess Readers app. So lots of ways. And of course, I'm a big fan of that app because you can just play through the moves without setting up a, a chess set, um, something, something we may discuss, um, the efficacy of that. But in any event, I did want to mention it's, it's not just uh, this is how you study. There's tons of instructional material in it. So when you structured the book, how did you decide sort of how much instructive chess material to include and how much of how much to just have it be like a how-to guide well i think one thing if you read the book you might get but actually i, I mentioned this in the, the preface of the book uh the idea is to develop um, a couple of things so and this is this how-to part so uh, to develop independence in your studies uh to develop or to learn how to structure your studies and thirdly to uh try to prefer deeper study methods as opposed to more superficial ones so you know if you re read between the lines you you probably get these these messages uh and of course there has to be some instructive material because um you need to see let's say how to study how to memorize a certain type of uh material yeah or how to do simulations this is uh, one of my favorite study methods where you uh take a game and you just go through it from start to finish and you try to guess the moves yeah but you are fully in this uh, competitive mode. You're you're pretending like you're playing a game, and and all all these uh, you know study ideas and study methods. I needed to include some uh, illustrations, right? And, and so I try try to find that that kind of mix. Yeah, and and it's a good job. I mean, the the instructive material itself is is um, 
serious stuff. I mean, uh, so for listeners, I would say um, you'll benefit most if you're rated over 1800 in terms of uh, the, the chess instruction part. But the the lessons, of course, are universal and you have study plans for players of all levels, including um, lower rated. Now, of course, this is a, a long book with lots of great material in it. Uh, readers would really get their money's worth. But I did want to kind of highlight a few themes from it, Devon. Um, so one of them is the age old question of adult improvement itself. Um, so you tell a story from in the book from uh, a FIDE trainer's seminar where that topic comes up. Do you mind retelling that for our listeners? Yeah, it was very interesting. I was uh, at the uh, FIDE trainer seminar in uh, Dubai and uh, the, uh, what was, uh, yeah, uh, Stratus Grivas, the lecturer, uh, grandmaster, he was asking uh, the question, um, you know, why do adult players find it uh, more difficult to improve than younger players? And okay, there were different suggestions, like they don't have enough time, which actually, okay, it's probably true as well. Um, uh, you know, they cannot study as, as um, efficiently as young young people. I guess there is some truth to that too. But then he said, okay, okay, but actually uh, older or adult adults have um, too many opinions. <laughs> uh, so he, he was trying to say that, you know, if you have too many opinions, then you're not letting the new knowledge uh, come in, yeah? Uh, you are uh, maybe too set in your old ways. Uh, both studying and playing. And um, when something new comes across, you try to incorporate it into your old uh, uh, sort of paradigm, yeah? how you understand chess, instead of uh, trying to create new paradigms. And so I think uh, it's much more effective. Of course, we have to have some uh, things that we believe in, yeah. but uh, it's much more effective if you're kind of open to, to new knowledge, to new ways. So you agree with uh, Grandmaster Grievous's assessment of what the main cause is? For no, I mean, I can see it uh, with myself. I'm not sure if it's the main cause, but I think there is a lot of truth to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I personally do not think it's the main cause. I think that, uh, I mean, obviously we've talked about this a lot. I have with various guests on the podcast. I think that time constraints and uh, and just slower assimilation of patterns probably are bigger, but I definitely get what he's saying. Um, about often you have a bad idea and it's better if you have sort of a, a, a fresh slate or it would be if you could just erase the bad idea you had. Like I've heard when conversations come up about like, you know, someone like Lawrence Trent wants to make a, a bet about if he can become a grandmaster or some player who's 1600 will want to make a bet, can I make master in some number of years? And I've heard strong players like yourself, Davern, say like, they might be better off if they were starting from scratch because then they could hire a trainer. The trainer could tell them what really matters and they wouldn't have these bad habits to get rid of. Well, I mean, you, um, can, you can always do it, yeah? Uh, even if you're, let's say, let's take example of Lawrence, yeah? So he wants to become a GM. I mean, if he put in the time, he hired the trainers and, and all that, I think he could do it. If he just kind of maybe uh, had this fresh start in his mind. But you have to be very committed, yeah? And you have to put into the time. And... He's uh, right now, he's like a broadcaster and has all these other things going on. Of course, it's going to take a lot of time to actually do something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, reading your study plan, reading some of the plans that you've enacted, you're not just like brainstorming, you've done them. Um, definitely 
uh, could be sobering for some people. Um, could, could you walk us through? So you, you talk about one period in particular where um, you kind of hit a plateau and felt like you needed to improve your calculation training. Could you, could you walk us through what you did to break through that and just the amount of hours that were involved? Yes, yes. This was, okay, I was already a GM, I think, in 2013. And, okay, let's say I had, like, good technique, more or less, but uh, I had some issues with playing dynamic positions. Not maybe calculation, per se, but just when the position would enter this dynamic phase with a lot of, you know, threats and tactics and all that, uh, I was kind of uh, not not really feeling that... Um, confident there. I was making mistakes both in when I was a stronger side and a weaker side. Um, and I remember there was particularly one game against Daniel Friedman where, okay, I caught him in the opening and then I had just a huge attack. His king was on F8 and I, I just kept, move by move, I kept uh, giving giving up my advantage and in the end it was a draw, but it, I should have won in many ways. And then I said, okay, it's enough. I really need to fix this uh, part of my game. And I, I was actually talking about this in, in the chapter on tactics training where a uh, very common mistake when you see that you maybe should do some more tactics training is to focus on solving puzzles. And this is just one part of the tactics training. It's necessary, but you actually have to go wider. And so uh, the, the kind of training that I did was involved uh, analyzing a lot of double-edged positions, uh, doing, as I said, simulations of games of uh, you know players with a sharp style like Richard Report and uh, many older players like uh, Judith Polgar and Topalov and so on. Um, I uh, s- uh, solved a lot of uh, studies and, and uh, uh, problems blindfold because I think blindfold is excellent to improve your tactical skills. And so I did this for two months straight. Straight, I didn't miss a day of study and I did it for, I don't know, three, four, five hours a day, depending on the day. And so after that, I, I on my next in my next tournament, I really felt a huge improvement in terms of my. It, it kind of sinked in. I just played. I didn't even play uh, technical chess that much as, as I wanted to create something on the board. I, I always wanted to create something tactical, dynamic. Yeah, just just an amazing story, an amazing dedication. And as you say, of course, you're you're a chess professional, and you were already a grandmaster at that time. Um, now these days, of course, I mean, you're still a chess professional, but you're also, your, your wife is one of the top players in, in Bulgaria. And now you have uh, a little kid, if I'm correct. Is that right, Dabrin? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how does that change things for you? I mean, because that was one thing that as a working dad reading the book struck me as just the number of hours was just that, that often were advocated were just so daunting that it, it made me, um, may, it almost felt futile for me to try to get better at chess. Actually, I got an email from a reader recently who probably also read the book in uh, Forward Chess or uh, Kindle. And uh, he was telling me, okay, like your book is nice and everything, but this is just too, like you're advocating too much study. But I don't think it should be um, like the tables there that and the study plans that I provide, they shouldn't be taken literally. Like sometimes I provide some, some of my old study plans where I studied for, you know, five, uh, four or five, six hours. Uh, a day, but you can adjust this. Uh, basically, it's just a tool for you to to uh, apply to your own situation. So let's say that you have, I don't know, uh, an hour a day, for instance, or, or you have a couple of more hours over the weekend. So you just use the same kinds of uh, study, you know, planning tools, schedules, and uh, 
create your own study plan based on that. Yeah, that that's good advice for for sure. Um, and for listeners always want to know like the study breakdown. Um, and you did provide that in the book. Um, of course, it's going to be slightly different for different levels and different um, people who have different strengths and weaknesses. But your your overall guidance was 10% openings, 25% tactics, 25% middle end games, 25 20% middle games, and 20% general improvement. Um, so uh, first of all, so two things struck me about that. Number one, of course, we often have the debate here on the show about how much to study openings, and that's uh, pretty low on the um, guideline spectrum. And number two, um, I'm sure listeners would like to hear what you mean. Obviously, you talk about it in the book, but what you mean by, by general improvement time. Okay, so this uh, breakdown that I provided, it's for improving players, like let's say below 1,800. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where openings are really not that important. I mean, you have to have your systems and all, but really you would benefit more if you studied all of the other areas of the game, especially endgames and tactics, where most mis- mistakes are made. And it's an approximate uh, breakdown, really. I mean, you can you can do twenty percent or twenty five percent of openings, but if you see if things are that things are not working for you, and that you have some issue, let's say playing endgames, okay, you can tone it down and and study more endgames than openings. So the whole book, I, I just want to say this: it's it shouldn't you shouldn't take things too literally from it. Yeah, I really want to uh, provide the guidelines, uh, not necessarily the uh, you know complete blueprint of how to do it. And now, uh, general improvement that you asked, it's, uh, it includes several topics. So first of all, it's um, improvement. Like let's say reading books like uh, Pump Up Your Rating by Axel Smith or uh, hiring a, a coach to help you uh, work on your area, you know, improvement of, of certain areas, maybe psychological aspects of your play. Uh, it includes analyzing your games. It includes reading... Um, good books like uh, tournament or, or game collections of, of strong players. So it's basically everything that doesn't belong into our typical uh, opening middle game end game breakdown. But maybe it, it includes parts of all of these uh, areas of chess. Okay, yeah, th- that's, that's good advice f- for sure. Um, so you mentioned that uh, Obviously, for club players, especially below 1,800, there often can be an overemphasis on openings. But of course, at your level, you're studying them, um, you know, probably the bulk of your time, or at least it's not uncommon for grandmasters to spend their bulk of the time studying openings and, of course, the structures that arise from them as well. Um, What about in between? What about players, say, 2,000 to 2,300? I mean, again, I know it's to your credit in the book. You give detailed study plans for different levels, but how would you adjust if you're you're in between those levels? So that would be in between two thousand and twenty three hundred, let's say. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I think so. I have a lot of students in that range, and uh, I think it's uh, definitely, let's say, if I would have to say percentage, you know, at least twenty five percent, maybe more. But uh, the opening study should be very closely related to middle game study. So like you mentioned, studying structures, uh, studying different, even end games you can study, you know, typical end games that can arise from the opening. There is a really good book. I mentioned it in the resources in my book by uh, John Cox. Uh, I think it's called Berlin Wall, uh, where he breaks down typical um, end game structures 
that happen in in the Berlin and you know, Berlin the variation of, of the Spanish opening. So uh, I think you know in, at that level over two thousand, it's not just uh, you know learning some uh, variations that you might get, but you should really get deep into middle games when you study uh, an opening. Yeah, I. I agree, and and you recommend the John Cox books and lots of other good recommendations for listeners looking for book recommendations. Even as as I mentioned to you before, we're recording. I was impressed that you're you're aware of good literature, not just for people at your level, but people sort of across the reading spectrum. Um, so we've got a bunch of good quest questions from uh, Patreon subscribers of the podcast. Shout out to a longtime listener and friend of the show, Peter Newhall, who sent in a few good questions. Um, Peter's been very dedicated to chess improvement over the years, but he's a, he's a working dad um, like you and I, and um, he's, he's always looking for the right study plan. So um, he was one of the people I thought of um, as someone who would be excited to read this book. And I, sure enough, Peter has already ordered it, although not read it yet. So this is what Peter, this is question number one. We've got a few, we'll just tackle them one by one. So Peter asks, do you feel that there's a minimum amount of playing and studying one really ought to do to improve rating wise at various levels, specifically for him, two thousand or twenty two hundred. Minimum, yeah. Well, okay, it's hard to tell, but maybe if the the higher rating, the the more you have to study, obviously, to to improve. But let's say uh, if you're closer to twenty two hundred, probably two hours a day is the minimum. I would say. Wow. Uh, I better uh, free up some time. <laughs> well, I, well I, I do not want to discourage anyone. Uh, it, it's very individual, right? Uh, so you should make the best of the time that you have. Yeah. Because what, 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 why I'm saying this, because there's a lot of kids, yeah, who are rated maybe even below 2,000. And you will play, when you go to a tournament, you're going to play a couple of them, right? And, and they study a lot because yeah. of time. So you have to somehow keep up with them. Uh, experience is on your side, you know, the intuition uh, about different uh, chess uh, parts of uh, chess game is on your side, but they have the times to catch up with you. So you have to catch up with them in a way you, you cannot, uh, probably if you have like one hour a day or something, I'm not sure if that's enough, really. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, even though I say, I you know, it sounds daunting and I, I react in that way, but I don't disagree because... <laughs> My experience has been I've been probably doing like 45 minutes to an hour a day, and it definitely doesn't feel like enough. Um, but, okay, if you have a long, long, uh, and I, this is something I, I mentioned in the book or I stress in the book, uh, if you have a, a long-term attitude or mindset uh, where you're not really trying to achieve some uh, rating goal within, uh, you know, like three months or two tournaments, but you, you're looking, you know, within maybe a year to improve your rating and your strength, obviously, uh, this is a better approach than just chasing some results, you know. And so, if you have a limited study time, I think it's better to extend this uh, horizon, you know, where you want to achieve something. I mean, I talk about it also in the book. Um, so, for for people with limited study time, I think that's uh, what I I would recommend. Uh, focus on uh, some of the areas that you feel you need to improve, like uh, the key study areas, and. Uh, extend your, uh, you know, uh, horizon of your study goals. And let's say maybe over six months or a year, you will actually feel improvement. You have a limited time, but if you, you know, if you do it for a longer time, you, yeah, you know, yeah, ex 
Excellent advice. Yeah, and shout out to a friend of the show and habit grandmaster Neil Bruce, who 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 says that because he's a he's a working dad as well and finds more time than a lot of people. But he's always advocating like, don't beat yourself up, and you know, on a, if you have a hectic day and you only do ten minutes of chess, you know, celebrate the fact that you did ten minutes. Because, Absolutely. Yeah, make yeah. the most out of the time that you do have. And if you yeah. set up a good study plan in advance, then you will know. Okay, today. I have only 30 minutes and in that 30 minutes, I'm, I'm going to make the most of my time. Yeah. I'm going to try to uh, make sure that this counts for my long-term improvement. Yeah. And could you expand about that uh, on that a little bit? Because that's a major theme in your book, the importance of uh, having a plan in advance. Yes. Uh, so you start basically by identifying your key study areas. So those that, you feel like, and you can analyze your games or you can ask a coach to analyze or, or identify these um, uh, study areas for you. Let's say, okay, let's say, Ben, what's like, uh, what do you feel it's like your weaker weaker area of your game? Uh, I would say for my rating uh, calculation. Calculation, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the plan that I mentioned earlier, it could work for you, I think. So... You, you set up uh, some sort of a plan where you have four or five study activities, but you're focused on calculation. You're not uh, browsing through some random games or you're not uh, studying end games uh, or anything else too much. And let's say you spend uh, 50% to, to, I don't know, 75% of your time on that particular area. You uh, come up with, like I said, study activities. You come up with study resources. So what you're going to study, so it's not like, oh, look, there is a great new book by, I know, Cyrus, like the Walla, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I have to get it, and then you wait like two months to get it, and then, I, okay, then I'm going to start my training. Okay, I mean, you can study with, um, I mentioned this in the book, you can have limited resources, but still still do, like, uh, make, make good studies. So um, you just uh, figure out your resources and your activities in advance. Um, you make a plan. You, you come up with a schedule, like like I said, uh, when are you available on which days, uh, how much you can study, and you try to fit in these slots like that you have. Uh, I like to do it on, week, uh, on a weekly basis, fit these uh, study activities into slots, and it becomes meaningful because I know, you know it's getting me toward my goal uh, if I work on them. Yeah, great advice, and uh, you know, this um, sort of goes hand in hand with uh, Peter Newhall's next question. So Peter's question is, how do you recommend adult improvers focus on progress? It's one thing to design, to design an inspiring and well-rounded study plan. Yeah, it's, it's an entirely different thing to stick with it week in and week out, to just check off boxes on a homemade spreadsheet for seemingly arbitrary uh, tasks. Well, okay, the, the latter part of the question sounds a bit like uh, you're doing it because you have to. I mean, you should... Yeah. Or maybe he's not. Again, Peter, uh, as a as a working dad, I think he has three kids, so it could be that he's not playing enough. You know, like a, you need sometimes you need that motivation where like you're playing so that you actually feel like this is what I'm working for. You know? Yeah. Okay. This is going to be uh, going to be some like small digression, but I just want to say playing. Uh, I mentioned this in the book. Playing and uh, studying are very important as uh, to do them together. So because uh, a, a positive uh, feedback loop loop uh, forms where you you know playing helps you study better and studying helps you play better so even while you study you know you can uh play you can play sparring games you can play uh blitz i think blitz is very good a very good study tool 
rapid, of course, as well. If you have time, you can play against a computer. So you should add this element of playing as much as you can in your studies because it's more fun that way. There is the learning part. There is the uh, decision-making part. And there is the playing part that you can incorporate in your in your training. But okay, coming back to the original question, I think if you have uh, big enough goals that you really care about, it can be a rating goal. It can be to achieve certain, uh, you know, to to learn a new opening, or um, to win in your club championship. Okay, it really depends what you care about. I don't know, but I gave this story. Uh, in the book, where when I was very young, I was just starting out basically, and I won a Croatian national championship for kids, I think under 10 or something. And it was my first experience playing the, the World Youth Championship. And as any kid, I wanted to, to win. Yeah. Yeah. And I was maybe rated, I don't know, 1700 at the time. And you know, you had these big guns like Rajabov and Gashimov and. Gusainov and all these people, you know, rated already like 22, 2300, but I wanted to win because what, what does a kid know? Yeah. And so, okay, I kept, I was always like at the 50% in these tournaments for a long time, but I kept having this dream, you know, like every year I, I go there, I want to win. And, and so at some point when I really improved, I was kind of close to it. I, actually, not really, but I finished fourth and this was, uh, I was happy with this result. I never won it, but I think the bottom line is that this big goal always helped me. Like I had it in the back of my mind and I always wanted to improve because of that. I always wanted to study more. Uh, I was very motivated to study at that time when I was, you know, uh, at the scholastic uh, level. Yeah. And so I think if you have, if you have a big enough goal, uh, now it's, I understand it's a bit hard when you're a working person and you cannot really think about chess all that, all that much. But still, I think you can set up some meaningful goals and, and, and uh, study activities that uh, come from them. Yeah, um, good, good advice there. Um, and Peter's next question also is sort of along the same lines, because I think often, like in Peter's case and, and my case for that matter, getting to tournaments can be the, the biggest struggle. Um, so Peter asks, he says, I've, I've never found any kind of consistent training partner as an adult. Finding a good match and then scheduling logistics makes it very sporadic and discouraging. Are there any engines, i.e. Magnus H10, Stockfish 13, set to some, some lower level that you feel can be good training partners, partners for playing longer games? Or is there some other replacement that you might recommend? Oh, maybe that's like two questions in one. One is about yeah. the... Because these are different type types of, I would say, study methods, uh, playing against a human and against a computer. There are differences. So even if even if the computer is like designed to be weaker, you still feel like it's it's not the same thing. Yeah, I mean you're playing a computer; it's not the same, and, and you cannot yeah. and you cannot uh, uh, discuss it later with the computer. With the human, you can. Yeah, the game. But uh, no, of course there are options. When we talk about computer, I think on chess.com there is uh, there are these lower rated bots, and they're sorted by levels, like from beginner to to master level. So I. And they have personalities, like you can play different uh, playing against different playing styles. So I think that isn't too difficult to arrange. Uh, and uh, in terms of playing, 
against uh, humans. So yeah, logistics are sometimes tricky. I don't know how it works. Like if you go to a website and you you seek like uh, game game thirty or game twenty, I mean, how big is the pool? I, from what I've heard, I've never done that, but from what I've heard, it's pretty challenging, especially I think anything over fifteen. Um, okay. I mean, of course, there are Discord servers like Chestojo, and there are other improver servers where you can try to find someone around uh, your level. But as as Peter says, um, often like that, like trying to arrange that takes time—the precious time that you could actually be studying. You know? Yeah, no, so yeah, yeah. I, I completely understand. Yeah, or maybe it's possible to join some groups, like um, well, let's say on chess.com. Maybe there are some groups for with you know like-minded people. Who would like to uh, play, uh, you know, training games? Yeah, I'm not I, sure. I, yeah, I think it it should be a solvable problem in uh, in this day and age. Um, and we've got one more chess improvement Patreon question, and then a couple more topics on the book, Devon, and then I'd like to to discuss your other book and a few other things. Um, so this one is from uh, adult improver Vishnu Srikumar, who of course. Uh, was a popular guest on episode uh, 215. For anyone who has not heard it, I recommend it. Uh, Vishnu, very hardworking chess improver. He says, I'm a 35-year-old amateur chess player who put in two to three hours a day for one to one and a, one and a half years, over which time I gained 300 rating points from 1650 to 1950. But now I have a lot less time, about one hour per day during the week to work on chess and time for one classical training game during the weekend. Do you have any suggestions for how to streamline my chess study other than to buy my book, which Vishnu says he uh, he intends to. <laughs> uh, so I think I mentioned this before. Uh, probably focusing on on area, certain areas that you feel like if you improve those areas, your overall overall uh, game will improve. I think that's uh, very important. And then focus uh, most of your time uh, there. And uh, like I mentioned, uh, don't have uh, such short-term goals, but rather think in long-term and try to spread out, you know, uh, whatever you're studying over a longer period of time. Okay. Yeah. Excellent advice. Um, a couple other themes from the book that I thought listeners uh, could benefit from. One, you had an interesting discussion of um, the, the idea of engines inhibiting growth. And you told a story from from your own experiences. Could you share your opinions um, on on that topic? Yeah, these days I I mean I like working with engines uh, quite a lot. There are different types of engines. I mean now we have Leela, uh, which is different uh, compared to Stockfish. But but I think it's very important to work uh, with them at the very end of whatever you are doing, whether you are analyzing a game, uh, playing a game. Uh, analyzing with another person or whatever, or, or just trying to find the best move in the position, you always should do it. And I wrote recently um, an article for the New in Chess magazine about that. Uh, you, you always should use your mind first and then use the engine as sort of a check, you know, something that will uh, check your, your thoughts and it will show you sometimes, you know, where you made the mistake, uh, maybe show some interesting resource that you never had in mind. Uh, and just just make you like more tactically precise. Uh, so I think that's that's the right way to use the engine. I know there are some people who are kind of opposed to using the engine completely, but I think you're taking away from your learning ex experience that way because engine, you know, working with engines can teach you a lot. You just have to know how to use them. 
Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that some grandmasters uh, and title players on the show have have recommended not using engines at all, I think that, uh, as you alluded to in the book, a far more common problem is just kind of being a slave to the engine. Um, it yeah, was, this uh, happens with young young players a lot. Yeah, because it's very easy to turn on the engine, especially when you play the game and you okay, I made the mistake here and case closed. Yeah, I, next time I'll play better, but. Uh, but then you don't analyze your game. You don't learn anything from that. Uh, so I think it's it's actually this advice is fairly simple, uh, but okay, maybe more difficult to follow for some people. Yeah, um, G- Gary Kasparov was recently on uh, James Altucher's podcast. I, I actually linked to this on Twitter because there was a lot of interesting stuff in there and I'll link to the interview in the show notes. But um, one thing he said was that he felt that one edge that Magnus had over other elite players from what he's observed is that Magnus is one of the few people who can use the engine without letting it hijack his brain. Yeah, okay, but these people are on a completely different level from you. And <laughs> yeah, me, so. they are. <laughs> I don't know. But but absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I do talk about this uh, in the book a little bit, uh, uh, that you can sometimes even analyze with the engine uh, working, you know, like in parallel on your computer, but you have to make sure that it doesn't guide your thought process. I think uh, even Boris Gelfand talked about this on your uh, show, uh, that you know you, you can think and you can come up with an idea and then give it to the engine and engine will show you some resources and then uh, you see what it gives you and then you can keep on analyzing, but you're providing the ideas, yeah? This, this is yeah. the key. But this, yeah, is, more, this can... is more difficult for younger players, I think. Mm-hmm. And probably it's more difficult for for a lower rated. And for lower rated as well. Yeah, yes, yes. but you give you give some good examples um, um, in the book where you you walk through how you you work with an engine where you would um, not just um, use its suggestion but give suggestions and then watch it react to them. I also thought the insight you shared about like the engine being forward looking is important for people to um, to to be aware of, uh, or at least to be more aware of. So could, could you explain uh, what you mean by that? Yeah, basically the, the number that you see on the screen, like uh, some position being, I don't know, 1.0 or something, it's the number that the engine or the evaluation that the engine gives at the end of the line it calculates. So let's say that it's ply, it's 30, yeah? Uh, ply 30 means that uh, it calculates 15 moves ahead, I believe. So the, the engine sees some position, 50 moves ahead that you have no way of imagining even, and it bases its uh, evaluation 1.0 on that position, yeah? Uh, after the best moves by both sides. So you have to understand that in some positions, it's simply impossible for you to understand why the engine gives this evaluation, uh, even though the objectively it may be that way. So this is why you have to use your own mind. You, know? you have to try to understand the position yourself, not just blindly trust what the engine gives. Yeah, and as we've mentioned uh, before on the podcast, particularly for club players, like the difference in like two tenths of a pawn, um, it, it's it's borderline irrelevant for for a lot of players. If you, you're much better off just um, basing your judgment on the playability of the position and yes. whether or not you understand the plans. Obviously, when you start to reach your level, Davor, and that that may not be the case anymore. Um, so. I want to talk about uh, Beyond Material as well as about what's going on with your life and career, Davran. But first, let's take a break and hear from our friends at chessable.com. 
This is your weekly reminder that Chessable.com has a ton of high-quality material. Whether you're looking to learn a certain opening, want to see the latest Super GM repertoire that has been published, want to find a tactics course appropriate for your level, whatever it may be, go to Chessable.com and have a look around. Don't forget they have tons of cool free content too, like their short and sweet courses about various openings. And all of the things that they offer feature their proprietary move trainer technology, the secret sauce that lets you actually remember all of the new chess moves and opening sequences that you learn. So once again, Chessable.com, check out their ever-expanding excellent library. So Davran, Beyond Material also has gotten a lot of uh, rave reviews. And as I mentioned in the intro, I bought the ebook a while ago, but I've only had a chance to leaf through it, even though speaking of uh, weaknesses of mine, like, like a lot of uh, non, you know, non-titled players, I, um, I think I struggle with materialism. I, I struggle with um, not, not being willing to sacrifice. Um, one thing you mentioned, of course, is uh, the lessons we can learn from Alpha Zero and Game Changer. So why don't we start with that sort of overview? Um, what what can we learn from that, and how can even people who are not, you know, Alpha Zero, uh, apply that to their games? Okay, first you can start by looking at these games. I think they're available only in, in the in the book Game Changer, but they're very, I think, uh, insightful in that way. And I think uh, the author Matthew Sadler explains them. You know very well, very um, in in a lot of detail. You know how uh, this kind of uh, decision by Alpha Zero can be applied on a human level. So I think it, just going through these games, I think even for people who are not title players or anything, uh, you can understand where where that engine is coming from. And one I think big uh, uh, takeaway from from that book, at least that I got, is that this type of engine, uh, like it's more like for a human, it's more intuitive how it makes decisions compared to, let's say, Stockfish, which is more materialistic, right? And and, and Alpha Zero just goes for these things that we value more, like uh, initiative, uh, some you know positional outpost, or or a nice maneuver with the knight. And um, this is what I talk about in the book Beyond Material, because the point is to uh, value uh, non-material factors like positional factors, uh, time, meaning, you know, tempo, initiative, attack, and psychological factors as well, uh, to understand how they can be sometimes even more important than material. Because material is something that we're, we kind of, uh, it's like the comfort zone, yeah? You, you win material, it usually means you're, you're well off, and you, you lose material, it usually means it's, it's bad for you. But there are these gray areas, right? And this is where I go with beyond material. So you go beyond these areas and you try to understand, okay, when is it good to, uh, and you know, sacrifice may not even be the right word. I would say exchange material for other factors. Hmm. And let's say I, one particular example that, that I like in that book is a game between Artemiev and Motilev, where Artemiev sacrificed, you know, there is this Bishop H4, uh, pin on the knight on f6, so black plays g5, and he sacrifices a knight. Knight takes g5, h takes g5, bishop takes g5. A classical sacrifice, but actually it doesn't even quite work in the position tactically, but he still sacrifices it, and he wins the game because he put a huge psychological pressure on Matilev, because you can see that Matilev was spending a lot of time trying to come up with something, 
and he was playing well, and in one moment he just collapsed. Yeah. So it's clear it's psychological pressure. We we exchanged material for uh, psychological advantage. Yeah, I I remember that example again. I haven't read the whole book, but I did look through that, and it was interesting. Yeah, how he just had sort of long-term um, unpleasantness, you know? Yes, Not, yes, yes, like exactly. No, no concrete knockout blow, but you wouldn't want to be sitting there as black um, yes. in that position. I mean, I, I felt it in my games too. Like some somebody just goes all, all out and, and it's very uncomfortable, yeah? Yeah. So just out of curiosity, I mean, how do you think um, Artemyev's mindset might be for something like that? Like, do, does he, like he obviously calculates better than than any of us, but so does he just reach a point where he says it's good enough, or do you think, um, like, how, how do you think he would approach it and be willing to play something like that? Yeah, he probably says it's not losing outright, yeah, and he sees right. some variations where he might, uh, maybe there's some trick in some variation, or he just has a long-term, I think that's a very key word that you mentioned, long-term uh, initiative, right, so it's not like it's refutable at, uh, immediately, and uh, it provides some other types of advantages, like I mentioned. And, and I think the whole uh, theme in the book is that all of these sacrifices that are examined are long-term sacrifices. So no, it's not something like, uh, you know, like a five-move combination and, you know, at the end of it, you're getting your material back with, you know, with interest or something. It's actually, these are, like I said, gray, gray areas. Sometimes the, the sacrifices are semi-correct or incorrect. Yeah, and obviously, as you mentioned, you work with a lot of uh, 2,000 to 2,300 rated players. So... I'm sure you see this problem a lot. Um, obviously, I'm sure you suggest you they read beyond material, which which is a good suggestion. Uh, I never, never any... suggest my, my students to read my book. Oh, you got to get on that. You got to sell some books, Davor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but um, I because I show the material from the book sometimes. So. Yeah, that makes sense. But do you have any drills you recommend, or do you like? Would you have someone play like some dodgy or? Um, gambit type opening or is there anything else people can do to kind of sort of break the shell? Okay, I'm not sure if I would recommend just completely going, you know, all in like that like play, start playing gambits. Okay, actually it's a good suggestion for uh, players who start out at chess, beginners and post-beginners to play gambits because they learn the value of time in chess mm -hmm. and actually if you think about it if we go to chess history, I mean this is the way it kind of progressed in the 19th century time was valued more than material and then after that, in the early 20th century, uh, positional factors were valued a lot, right? You know, with Botvinnik and all these people. And now in, in our computer modern era, material uh, matters the most. But who knows? Maybe there will be a new era where we'll, we'll get something else. Uh, but coming back to, to the methods, so I think just studying, and, and we can relate this to, to my new book, uh, How to Study, right? Uh, you, you need to create a comprehensive plan of, you know, if you, if you want to get better at that area in particular, come up with certain methods that you think will help you, yeah? So maybe uh, studying some very good examples of double-edged play with sacrifices. This, this is, I think, uh, a good starting point. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's plenty of material to study in the book. You can also... Um... You know, if you Google positional sacrifice or something, you'll find plenty of YouTube videos and yeah, stuff I mean, like there, that. there are books on that. I mean, there is a book by a Dutch author, uh, Positional Sacrifices. Yeah, uh, pretty new, yeah. And so on. There's, there's, I mean, last two years, there have been more books, I mean, issued than, than in the last, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> so. 
because of yeah, the- and you're pretty uh, you're pretty on top of them. Hearing you hearing you walk through the sort of evolution of chess made me think that uh, made, reminded me that you mentioned uh, an enthusiasm for I am Willie Hendricks books, which which I share with you. I haven't actually read them, uh, but I have read parts of them. Like I didn't read the full books, but yeah, I mean the the ideas that he shares there are pretty original, and I, I definitely agree with them. Yeah, those those books are uh, on the origin of good moves is the new one, and uh, the think, older one was move first think move later. First, yeah, first and, think later. Yeah, yeah, and he's been on the podcast as well. Um, so great advice all around, uh, Daver. And I want to get into your own uh, professional and family life, but uh, first we're gonna take a break and hear from aimchess.com. Not every chess player has a janitor to help them improve at chess like Beth Harmon did. For those of you who don't, there is aimchess.com. Aimchess has a web-based algorithm that collects and analyzes your games from chess.com or LeeChess, and then it creates personalized study plans based on your weaknesses to help you improve. It might highlight specific openings to work on, tell you to tighten up your tactics, or in my case, tell me to manage my time better. Then it gives you puzzles and advice with the goal of helping you improve your chess faster. You can check out Aim Chess for free. And then if you decide to subscribe, please use the promo code CHESS30 to save 30%. That's CHESS30. The details are also in the show notes. So for now, let's get back to the interview. So Daver, in reading this book and reading about your um your huge ambition. I mean, I would describe this as an ambitious book in terms of the amount of material that it covers and the amount of sort of um, actionable suggestions it has, and even just the sheer amount of educational content within the book itself. Um, I had, I read this book in about nine days, but I think done properly, one could spend three months on this. Obviously, I didn't, uh, when it came to the the instructive chess material, in order to to read all the thoughts, I had to go faster than I otherwise would have. But Seeing this extremely professional approach, both to your training and uh, your own chess development, made me wonder what what you're up to these days and how you're balancing your your competing uh, with your your family and your career. Well, okay, I'm not competing at all, so this is one thing less to worry about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's sometimes a bit challenging, uh, you know, with a little kid. But I think we're balancing well. Uh, I'm mostly coaching. I'm also of course, uh, writing a lot of uh, material, uh, educational material, and uh, you know, doing uh, uh, online uh, lectures and things like that. So, I, th- I think, especially since now there is no temptation, there's not that many tournaments, so there's no temptation right. to, to play it too much. I think it's it's all, all right in that respect. Uh, because your wife, uh, WGM, uh, apologies if I mispronounce it, but WGM, uh, Eva Vidanova, yes. she, from what I can tell, she still plays a lot of league games, and obviously she's one of the top players in Bulgaria where, where you live. So is she competing more than, than you are, or is it just the pandemic has kind no, of no, slowed not, everything down? Not anymore, yeah. Okay. And I think she has a greater will to play than me. I'm, I'm almost kind of retired, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, league league games, of course. Like if they pop up from time to time, it's it's easy, right, to uh, to organize. But yeah, to to have some big uh, plan, like you know, to play three tournaments in a row or something, that that I think would be too much at this stage. Yeah, it totally makes sense, especially again seeing like how seriously you took it. Um, you pushed so hard that I can see now now at this stage of your life how how that might be um, a bit more challenging. 
But let's make it a hypothetical, Devlin. And I mean, I have some ideas from reading the book, of course. But if, if you were going to, to get back into it and decide, you know what, I'm going to play three tournaments in the next three months. Like, what would you do in terms of a, uh, a study regimen? And, and what would be realistic for, for you personally uh, with all these other responsibilities? Yeah, I think if uh, I had enough time to study maybe three or four hours a day, uh, probably I'd, I'd look at a lot of openings because that's I, I didn't study uh, openings that much lately. And uh, probably go back to uh, simulations, which I like a lot, uh, to get used to you know, the, the tournament uh, regime. Uh, probably do some tac tactical training, uh, Okay, I think at this level I don't really have to maybe review some typical end games, but that's about it in, in terms of end games. Uh, and I don't know, that's that's pretty much it. Like I said, and, and you say it as well, at, at uh, GM level probably openings are the number one priority because most of the other areas of the game, unless you see you have you're you have some big problem in some area of the game, uh, you're more or less fine. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so, as I mentioned in the intro, you say in your uh, your Leeches uh, coaches page, um, where there's a lot of biographical information that listeners can find about you, that you were on a Croatian uh, TV show de dedicated to chess. Obviously, I've had uh, some Croatian guests on the show. They actually haven't interviewed, uh, so, I believe, any uh, Croatian grandmasters, but of course, the famed YouTubers Agad Matur and Hanging Pawns have both been on the show, and uh, recent adult improver Dr. Luka Popov. And... What I'm impressed with uh, from uh, interfacing with these Croatians, and I, actually I, I visited the country a long time ago and it's beautiful, oh, nice. um, uh, is uh, number one, how well you guys all speak English, <laughs> um, and, uh, and number two, the, the, the chess culture. So let's hear about the television show and to sort of why you think uh, chess is so vibrant in Croatia when, when the weather's so nice um, <laughs> to begin with. Well, okay, uh, I think it comes back from... The older days, you know, um, uh, maybe 40, 50 years ago, we had some TV shows uh, with famous grandmasters. And, uh, you know, then they passed on kind of this, uh, you could say, chess culture to uh, new generations. So I, I think that's a part of it. I mean, also, uh, chess has been popular uh, in Croatia for quite a long time. We have good national teams. and. Maybe these days, not that many young players. This is kind of a pity that not many young players are taking up chess seriously, at least. Uh, uh, so that's maybe changing. I'm not sure. Uh, but definitely we have a strong strong chess culture uh, in Croatia. And uh, the TV show that uh, I did, it's called uh, Chess Commentary. Uh, actually, now it's done by another grandmaster, Aloysia Jankovic. Uh, and uh, it's it's the you know we are giving comments of of old games like famous games and uh, new games alike, and I think a lot of uh, people who don't even play chess uh, can they you know from the reviews that I've heard uh, they they enjoy it because they can they can see something there is like a demo board yeah and you're moving the pieces right and so they they can see uh, and they can enjoy it. And and there's enough interest there for a show like that to, to yeah, continue to be made. Apparently, yes, yes. And from having been on it, do I mean do did did anyone ever recognize you from having been on the show? 
I mean, well, now you're in Bulgaria, so that makes it harder. Yeah, not possible. But uh, no, no, I've, I've done it only for a limited time, maybe seven, eight months. But actually, my colleague uh, Jankovic, I, I think he, he said that some people have recognized him. He's kind of wow. like a TV face. Uh, but, That's but cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is there much chess? Like, again, uh, I associate Croatia with very nice weather, seaside in many places. Is there a lot of outdoor chess in Croatia? Yeah, it was interesting. I think two years ago when Grandchester was in Zagreb, uh, which, by the way, it's going to be this year as well in, in July. Uh, it was an, the, the weather was nice. And then Carlson and, and, and other people, you know, in, in the Grandchester, they were uh, making pictures with kids outdoors. And I think they were also playing some simuls there. So, uh, yeah, I think and you can see sometimes, you know, like taxi drivers and, and some regular people just playing chess on the street. And what about life in, in Bulgaria? Now, I assume you moved there because your wife is uh, Bulgarian? Yes. Uh, okay. It's, uh, I, like I said, I'm not very active in terms of you know, like chess life. So it's mostly like a base and I do most of my stuff online. Uh, but just living in Bulgaria, it's kind of a similar culture. And uh, I've learned the language. So I, I feel pretty comfortable. Uh, and it's, is your Bulgarian as good as your English? Oh, that's a good question. That's a very, no, my English is better, I think. <laughs> okay. And do you speak any other languages? That's about it, I think. I mean, three is more than I can say. And again, your, your English is, is so impressive, um, which, of course, you did study in the States. Uh, so could, we, could you tell us a little bit about that experience um, going to university in Texas? Yeah, I mean, it was a nice opportunity when I was uh, getting out of uh, high school. And I thought, okay, why not? Uh, I studied at U University of Texas at Dallas for four years. I got my undergrad degree in uh, business administration. And then uh, there was another opportunity. Uh, at that time, Susan Polgar was at the Texas Tech University, and she invited me for, you know, to join their chess program. And I enrolled also um, in uh, business school there. So I got my master's degree in finance and, okay. and made my GM norm. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. GM title. yeah. You're very hard earned the GM title as you detail in the book. Um, I, I somehow I, I read that you had gotten your master's in finance at Texas Tech, but I missed that you were at UTD, which obviously I've interviewed some other people there. Uh, what other titled players were there while you, while you were at UTD? Actually, this was a very... I could say strong generation because I think John Bartholomew was the same generation as me, Alejandro Ramirez. Uh, okay, a couple of Serbian IMs. Uh, and well, it, it was a very strong, you know, we had, uh, I think Alejandro was the only GM, but we had a lot of IMs, a lot of FMs, uh, and many other players, of, of course, in the chess team. So I think we always fielded two teams for, for the Pan American Championships. Oh. Okay, so you, do you know? I mean, obviously John Bartholomew, but Dimitri Schneider. Dimitri, yeah, Dimitri was there. He was Zaremba. there before. Zaremba, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Um, good stuff. Um, so, last thing, Davran, what are you up to these days? Um, like, outside of chess, what what are your interests? Okay, I I like to do sports. I used to do. I used to play football uh, when I was much younger, but uh, don't have that much opportunity anymore but yeah typically any sports swimming uh, 
or whatever I can do. And uh, just watching sports, I think that's the main thing I waste okay. my time on. So. <laughs> and with, with you being so strong and your wife being so strong, I, of course, have to ask about uh, whether your kid is or will be playing chess. Oh, okay. She's throwing pieces around. Okay. Uh, it's a start. Yeah. How she old is she? She knows two, two years old. Oh, yeah. So, so it's too early, I think. I think most people start at, I don't know, four or five. Yeah, six is, I think six is um, ideal, but the, the uh, go-getters start earlier. And <laughs> I've, I've, heard, I've had some students even five years old, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it depends. Depends on the kid. But, depends um, on the some, kid. Yeah, so, somewhere in that, in that range for sure. Um, and I had, oh, and again, this is deeply covered in, in your book, but I can't let you go being that I was struck by um, how incredibly well-read you are in the field of chess and even beyond chess. Um, if you could could rattle off a few of uh, your fa your favorite books, chess or otherwise. Yeah, so the books that uh, probably have made the most impact on me when I was younger were Alexander Kotov's uh, Think Like a Grandmaster and uh, Shereshevsky's Endgame Strategy. Uh, and I'd say from the newer books, I like uh, books by... Boris Gelfand, and uh, obviously by Dvoretsky, uh, also Jacob Agard's books. Uh, and okay, but there's so many good books. Really, it's hard to you know pick. We yeah, could, and again, we could talk all day about it. Yeah, tons of tons of uh, recommendations and suggestions. And yes, um, I provided some recommendations in the book. Yeah, for for each yeah. study area and for study levels and things like that. Yeah, and hearing you mention Cherishevsky's classic uh, endgame strategy, it actually one more chess point that I would like listeners to uh, be be aware of is the point you made about like because a lot of people talk about studying endgames, of course, but um, stuff like 100 endgames you must know and Dvoretsky's endgame manual uh, sometimes can be dry. So I liked the analogy you made of uh, comparing a um, a endgame manual to a car manual. Could could you explain that for our listeners? Yeah, because sometimes people feel like they should read the, the whole uh, Dvoretsky, uh, Dvoretsky's Endgame man manual, um, you know, in one go uh, and things like that. But, you know, it's a manual, so it's something to be used uh, when you need it. And uh, it's not something that's meant to be necessarily studied uh, as, as, a as a block. But uh, you can uh, spread it out in, in different uh, study projects. You know, maybe you study uh, some types of, uh, bishop endgames, opposite color bishop endgames for a month, and then you stop and then you study something else. Uh, and I made this an analogy with the car manual because I mean, who reads car, car manuals, uh, from right. first to the last page. So why would you do it with the end game book? I mean, end games are studied. Uh, it takes time. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. You have to analyze your own games where you had end games. You have to analyze other games, uh, know your theoretical end games, obviously. Uh, but it, it takes time. You cannot just uh, learn endgames by reading an endgame manual. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, which I was reassured by because, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, I enjoy reading books like uh, Endgame Strategy or Gelfand's Endgame books. Um, but when they do get too technical, I do feel like the, the odds that I'm going to... Like, the number of times I would need to drill the position to actually remember it at the time, like it just feels like kind of like a parlay bet. Like it's just not super likely to happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, no, it takes, it's just, you, you have to, I think everything you do in chess, you should take it as a, you know, this race between a, a rabbit and, and a, or a hare and a turtle. 
you mm -hmm. should be the turtle yeah because you should take it slowly and and over time because i talk about this in in the first chapter about learning processes that our brains need time to especially chess is such a complex game uh that a lot of it is subconscious and people want when they study chess a lot of time they want to see this cause and effect well i studied this so i'm going to learn that yeah and i'm going to get this skill or, or this kind of knowledge and they always want to see that and they they don't really appreciate the well, always the the long term kind of study where subconsciously you pick up things and this is something i stress in the book a lot and i hope that the readers uh, will will get that from the book excellent yeah and i think that that's a good note to wrap things up on davern uh, the book is How to Study Chess on Your Own, Creating a Plan That Works and Sticking to It. And of course, again, available in paper form, Kindle, New in Chess Reader app. And did you say it's on Forward Chess as well, Devin? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So lots of ways to read it. Again, the chess material itself, uh, very challenging, but, but very rewarding. But the study plans and the general guidance, I think, could be useful for everyone. Now, Devin, aside from the book, uh, how is um is there a way for people best to keep up with uh with whatever I know you said you have lots of book ideas with uh whatever you unveil in the future? Uh well I'm uh, sorry can you just uh kind of re rephrase the question? Yeah, what is the best way for listeners to to follow what you're doing? Could you reach you through the Lee Chess Coaches page or is there another way? Yeah, I mean that's uh, on Lee Chess or on chess.com. Uh, I have my coaching Page. I'm not too active on, on social media. That's uh, so you won't find me there too much. But uh, on these these pages, uh, yeah, you can get in touch with, with me if you liked. Okay, yeah, that's how I found Davern. So his story checks out. Um, excellent. All right, well, Davern, keep up the amazing work. These books are so good. So I hope you have more in the future. And I would love to, uh, to talk chess improvement again with you someday. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Thanks, as always, to my producer, Matthew Passy. Thanks to you all for listening. And thanks to those of you who help spread the word, whether it be positive reviews on podcast platforms, telling friends, social media, all that stuff helps get the word out and it is much appreciated. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at BennyFischel1. You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group to continue the conversation, sometimes even with that week's guests. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is back in action as well at Perpetual Chess. And you can also find all these links on the Perpetual Chess webpage, perpetualchesspod.com. But of course, the main purpose of these closing credits is to thank everyone who supports Perpetual Chess financially. Without you all, we would not be able to put out such a consistent and hopefully quality product. So thanks so much. It really means the world to me. And in particular, I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities, starting off with my friends at chessable.com. Aside from that, I would like to thank David Lazarus of lasmanchess.com. He is the coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, our friends at Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch channel, A Needy Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Essentials Chess blog, chessmood.com, 
Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber. I am Dimitri Schneider. I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, Guven Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Mac- MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Selt, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the original chess YouTube channels, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the legendary Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nays Twitch channel, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodhi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, the Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gerson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a chess.com improver group. You can look them up. Wayne Bean, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovics, Antonio Cancino, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Chad Hilton, Chess Potzer Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, also known as Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Butson, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskacek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Decker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langual, Robitai, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Fide Arbiter, Arbiter, Arbiter excuse me, Felipe Melo Perdera, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letart Lavoie, Frank Tor- Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zanani, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Geert Vandervelde, Gene Stewart, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Han Shute, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovac, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Dacumos, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tooley, Juan Almaguar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of U.S. Chess, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, I am Kostya Kovutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marko Bulatovich, 
Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Malijanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited in Switzerland, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Richard Hollenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Titi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, The Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott McKinnon, Scott Shepard, Sean Krause, Sebastian Finsterwater, Walter, Sergey Magacon, Seth Ruzicka, Shane Unger, Silver Knights in Richmond, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rattel, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you all next week. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.